to open your copy of God's Word with me today to John chapter 15. We'll be in verses 1 through 11 this morning. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. John is the fourth of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. John's Gospel is distinctively different from the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic Gospels. That word synoptic means one view or viewing together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of look at Jesus' life kind of down the same path through a very similar lens, if you will. Uh, John's Gospel is quite a bit different, not necessarily in terms of content, but his Focus is a little bit different here and there throughout his gospel. John's gospel probably being the last of the four gospels uh, written historically. He's taking a very theological approach to how he is telling the story of Jesus' life and his interaction with the Savior, which is probably why when you read John, uh, you're going, why why does this seem so different from the other gospels? Well, John has a different purpose in mind. Uh, not, not altogether different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but, but his emphasis is a little bit different. He's wanting us to see the grandness of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus very clearly, to see the relationship that Jesus has to the Father and the relationship that Jesus has to his disciples in a theologically rich and deep way. John wants us to do more than just know the facts of Jesus' life. He wants us to know Jesus, the risen Savior. Uh, all this month of January, we've been t- spending time in God's Word, uh, fleshing out uh, our mission and vision as a church. Our mission as a church is uh, there on the title slide behind me. We exist uh, at First Baptist West Albuquerque to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're here to do. We're here to increase the worship of God in the world as we point other people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ as they trust in Him as the Uh, The one who died for their sins was raised from the dead, the one who alone can bring them forgiveness of their sins. And we do this not in our own ability, but in the hope that the Holy Spirit of God supplies to us. We've looked at our mission. Last week we started looking at our vision, our vision for making disciples. What kind of disciples of Jesus do we want to make? We want to make disciples who, as we saw last week, first of all, know Christ as Lord through his word. And knowing Christ as Lord is, is more than just knowing the truth about Jesus. It's also about truly knowing Jesus, knowing him in relationship, in a dynamic, life-giving relationship of faith and dependence upon Jesus. We can't know him truly until we know him in truth. And once we know him in truth in his word, then we strive to know him personally as we walk with him. We also want to make disciples second, and this is a focus of our time in God's word today, disciples who grow and help one another grow in maturity and obedience to Jesus. We make disciples who know Christ as Lord through his word and who help one another grow in maturity and obedience to Jesus. There are lots of places in Scripture that we could go to encourage ourselves uh, and and to equip ourselves for the task of helping one another grow in relationship to Jesus. But I have uh, uh, felt that John 15 would be a helpful place for us to go this time. We've previously looked at passages like Ephesians 4 and Titus 2. But today we want to look at John chapter 15, continuing in this sort of farewell discourse of Jesus. These are the last uh, teaching time that Jesus has with his disciples, the night that he'll be betrayed and before he'll be uh, arrested and, and taken to be crucified. 
And here in this uh, verses, uh, chapters uh, 14 through 17 of John's gospel, Jesus is giving his, really his kind of his final instruction to the disciples. In John chapter 15, we have this really uh, uh, captivating image of Jesus being the vine and the disciples being the branches. And here in this passage, John 15, verses 1 through 11, and here's our main idea today. Jesus is doing this for his disciples in John 15. He does it for everyone who's a follower of Jesus today. Jesus invites his followers into a growing relationship of joy and glory. Jesus invites his followers, those who trust him, into a growing relationship of joy and glory. I would hope that as we look at John 15 today, that we would be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, who find our greatest joy, our greatest delight in abiding in, obeying, and bearing fruit in Christ, that nothing would satisfy our souls more than growing in abundance in these areas. I invite you, would you, if you're comfortably able to stand with me as we hear God's word, John 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. There, John, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records Jesus' words. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we come to this passage, we first have to recognize uh, its deep connection to Old Testament imagery. Jesus, when he says, I am the true vine, I am the vine, he's not pulling this image out of thin air or, or pulling it out of, uh, uh, or just making a new, uh, creating a new image or speaking in new terms to his disciples. He's pulling on a lot of Old Testament imagery. Several times in the course of the Old Testament, in the Psalms and throughout the prophets, the Lord calls the people of Israel, his people, he calls them the vine or his vine. They are his people that he has planted in his vineyard and whom he tends to and and cares for. And they are his people who are meant to be fruitful and to multiply and to be a blessing to many, not unlike actual grapevines, which are fruitful and multiply, and the fruit of their vine is a blessing to many. But routinely, throughout the course of the Old Testament, Israel is depicted not as a fruitful, luscious, well-apportioned vine, but instead as a diseased vine. Decaying, fruitless, 
because of their recurring idolatry and unfaithfulness to God. This image of Israel being a vine is, is, is supposed to be this picture of, of them being a beautiful and fruitful thing in the hands of the Lord, and yet routinely throughout the Old Testament, they, they are a fruitless vine, a dying vine, a decrepit one. So when Jesus in John 15 says, I am the true vine, he is in effect saying, I am the true Israel. I'm the son of God who doesn't disobey. I am the glory of God and the blessing of God to the whole world. I do what the people of Israel could not do. I'm the true vine, the one that really does bear fruit. Before we work to understand the imagery and the meaning of the relationship between the vine and the branches that that is just all throughout John chapter 15, let's first of all jump to the end of the passage to verse 11 where we see why Jesus says all of this at all. Verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, which is Jesus' way of saying, here's why I'm telling you all of this. I'm telling you all of this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's the reason that Jesus says everything that he does in John 15, verses 1 through 11, because he wants his disciples, he wants his followers to know and abound in the joy that he gives. That's why he tells them he's the true vine and they're the branches and they need to abide in him and so on and so forth all the way through. He wants his disciples to be joyful. He wants his gladness to be in them and to be full and abounding. That word uh, uh, full comes from a word that means overflowing like full to the point of brimming over. Jesus wants his disciples to be so full of joy that there's not room in their lives for anything else. We see in these verses, and we said that Jesus invites his followers into a growing relationship of joy and glory. Glory of the Father. Uh, Verse 8 gets to this. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the kind of relationship Jesus is inviting his followers into. And everyone who follows Jesus today, a relationship that's growing in joy, overflowing in joy because we know Christ, because we're growing in relationship with him, and, and a relationship with him that abounds to the glory of God because it's being fruitful. So what do we learn about disciples, joy-filled disciples who glorify the Father from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11? Well, First of all, we see that joy-filled disciples who glorify the Father, first of all, abide in Christ. Joy-filled disciples, followers of Jesus, who bring glory to God and all the world abide in Christ. This is the most obvious command and the clearest aspect of Jesus' relationship to his disciples. They mutually abide in one another. Several times in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 9, Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me and I'll abide in you. Let my words abide in you. Let my love abide in you. And you abide in my love. And back and forth and all of this abiding. (laughs) Abide is not a word that we at least not that I use in common discourse today. Many of you are probably more sophisticated than me. So you use words like abide. The word abide comes from the Greek word meno, which means to remain. Or some of your translations may say remain. Remain in me and I remain in you. It means to remain in one place, to stay in a particular location for a while. Jesus is saying, stay with me. More than that, stay in me. Be vitally connected to me. Branches and vines. This image, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I'll abide in you the way that branches abide in a vine and a vine abides in its branches. Branches and vines abide in one another in that the branch is vitally connected to the vine. 
The branch has no life unless it's connected to the vine, to the trunk of, of that plant. Branches get all of their nutrients and they have all of their liveliness in their connection to the vine itself. A vine can have many fruitful branches coming off of it, but a branch must be connected to a singular vine to be full of the life that it gives and to bear the fruit that it's intended to. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus says. Joy-filled disciples abide in Christ, remain in Christ, are vitally connected to Jesus. And they recognize that apart from him, they have no real life. Apart from him, they dry up and uh, wither up and are good for nothing but firewood. John says of Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, as he's opening his gospel, he says, All things were made through him, that is the word, uh, Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the singular incarnate word of God that brings life to everyone. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus says. Why? Because I'm the source of life. So abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, being vitally connected to Christ is to find the only true source of life in him and to be constantly tapped into and dependent upon him for life itself. And when we talk about life itself, we're not just talking about breathing in and out. We're not just talking about our heart pumping blood through our veins. When we talk about being connected to Jesus for life itself, we're talking about the kind of life we're meant to live. A life where our souls are vitally connected to God himself. Where our sins have been forgiven and we have been justified to our creator. When we talk about being tapped into Jesus for life itself, we're talking about the life that God designed us to live. A life of knowledge of God and love of God and worship of God that leads to great joy in us. The idea of abiding in Christ carries this aspect of relationship. Disciples abide in Christ and he abides in them. Jesus says it several times over in this discourse. Abiding in Christ is a gloriously wonderful two-way street. Disciples are called to remain in him. And he says, I'll remain in you too. What an interesting picture. That Jesus doesn't just say to his disciples, work hard to stay connected to me. Work hard to find life in me. No, he says, you abide in me and listen, I'll abide in you too. Right? Works kind of works both ways. There's this, this wonderful uh, just connection of life between Jesus and his disciples as their lives become intertwined together. Disciples trust Jesus for salvation and depend on him as Lord of their lives. And Christ, in turn, indwells his followers through his Holy Spirit, who he sends to live in the hearts of those who trust him. In the Apostle John's first letter to the church, 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, he says this, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because he has given us of his spirit. He sends a spirit to dwell in us. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Joy-filled disciples of Jesus who glorify God abide in Jesus. So understand this this morning. There's no other way about it. To follow Jesus, you must be abiding in him, remaining in him, vitally connected to him for spiritual life. 
Friend, are you abiding in Christ today? Is your life vitally connected to Him? Or are you like a branch cut off from its source? In reality, this is all of us apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we are all branches cut off from the source of life that is meant to to fill us to the point of being fruitful. All of us in our sin have cut ourselves off from the source of life that, 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 that created us in His image. We've cut ourselves off from God in our pursuit of doing things our own way, on our own terms, when we want, how we want, with whom we want, in trying to be Lord of our own lives, kings and queens of our own destiny, we have cut ourselves off from God, the Creator who made everything. For that, we reap the natural consequences and spiritual consequences of being cut off. What happens to a branch when you cut it off from the vine? Withers up and dies. What happens to us in our sin when we cut ourselves off from fellowship with God by rejecting His authority? We wither up and die, physically and spiritually as well. Here's the wonderful hope of the gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ, that God sees a whole bunch of people, every person who's ever lived, intentionally cutting themselves off from Him, from the life that He desires to give to them, and He reaches out to dead vines, to dead branches, to say, let me give you new life. And here's how I'm going to do it. He sends his own son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who's co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father, to take on human flesh, to add humanity to his divinity, to live a life without sin, never cutting himself off from relationship with the Father, never disobeying God's design for his life, always being obedient to all that God has said. And he takes his own sinless life to a cross where he is there crucified as a, uh, unjustly as a criminal for crimes he did not commit. And there as he dies on that cross, God the Father looks on his death as a sacrifice for every branch that cut itself off from the vine for all of us. There Jesus dies so that all of us may be grafted back into the source of our life. And here's how that grafting happens. Here's how you receive life in Christ. Here's how you begin to abide in Jesus. You stop trusting yourself. You start trusting him. You recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that you've rejected God's rightful authority in your life and that you need forgiveness. You need to be justified to him. And you look to Jesus, the son of God who died for your sins, who was raised from the dead. And you say, Jesus, my life is yours. You are Lord. You are king. Nothing else can save me from myself but you. So save me. Make me new. Justify me to God. Put me back in a right relationship with him. Are you abiding in Christ? Here's an interesting thing. We have a pine tree in our backyard, in the, the corner of our yard. And I think it's a pine tree. It might be a pinon tree, but it's never dropped pinons. But that doesn't matter. When we moved into the house, there's a part of the tree was not doing very well. And I found that there was, there was a vine of some sort, I don't know what kind, coming out of the ground and wrapping around uh, the tree and, and onto some of its branches. And the branches that were not doing so well were the ones that had the most of the vine kind of wrapped around it. And wanting to see to the health of that tree, um, I cut off that vine that was sucking nutrients out of the tree and pulled as much of it out of the ground as I could, pulled as much of it off of the tree as I could. Here's this funny thing. Uh, the tree's kind of tall, so I couldn't pull all of the, get all of the vine down without climbing up in the tree. My tree climbing skills are not what they were when I was 12. 
There's a vine still on that tree, right? Some of it. But that thing is just dead as dead because it's cut off from its source of life because I cut it off at the root. Friend, if you are not connected to Christ, the vine, you will be no better than the dead vine wrapped around the tree in my backyard. Withered up, dry, dead, good for nothing. Now, it's good for the tree that that vine is dead, but listen, friend, if you're like that vine, that's not good news for you. Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you, right? Find your life in me, and I'll give my life to you. Find your joy in me, and I'll give my joy to you. There's no other way about it. To follow Jesus, you first must abide in him, remain in him, trust him with all that you are and all that you have. Second, we see that joy-filled disciples of Jesus who glorify God not only abide in Christ, but also bear fruit in the power of Christ. Joy-filled disciples bear fruit in the power of Christ. Now, just as the theme of remaining vitally connected to Christ pervades this passage, so does the idea of being fruitful, of bearing fruit as a part of that connection. That's what good, healthy grape vines do. They make grapes. Now, the real thrust of this, of being fruitful as we're connected to Jesus, comes in verses 4 and 5. Look at it again. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Yes, Jesus, we know what that means now. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I think we easily make sense of the image here. Branches of a grapevine can only produce grapes when they're vitally connected to the vine and are healthy. Any branch that is broken off or separated from the vine will be fruitless. Uh, A branch of a vine that's not connected to the vine can't grow grapes, folks. That's just science. Jesus says it plainly in verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. You are powerless. Okay, you say I get the image. But what sort of fruit is Jesus talking about? Obviously, I can't grow grapes, and we're not meant to take the image that literally. What is the fruit that Jesus is saying his disciples should bear? When we abide in him and he abides in us, what is the the outcome of that relationship? What's the fruit? And I believe that that's the right sort of question that we ought to be asking here. What sort of fruit is Jesus talking about? Perhaps you recall the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. It's short. Hear it. Jesus says there, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them, you'll recognize in this case false prophets, by their fruits. The point of this parable is that a nature of a person's heart, the nature of a person's motives, the the, the deepest part of who they are and what they long to do and live to do can can, can be seen by the life that they live and by the words that they speak. Fruit is the output, the produce of our life. So if a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit, then a disciple who is abiding in Jesus will produce Christ-like fruit. Does that make sense? Now, we need to be careful not to press the image too far here. Fruitfulness is commanded by Christ, 
But the point being made here is not that fruitlessness causes someone to lose their salvation. Right? We, could, we could take the image that Jesus uh, gives here in John 15 and, and press it too far. His point is not to say, if you, if you abide in me, but you don't bear enough fruit, uh, that's it. You're not good enough to be really saved and enter into eternal life. Forget it. That's not quite what Jesus is saying. But he is giving a warning to those who abide in him to bear fruit because all of their works fruitful or not so fruitful, will be judged by God for what they are. Paul underscores this for the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 15. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation, he's speaking of the foundation of the gospel, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, speaking of the day of the Lord, that final day of judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What's Paul saying there? He's saying the fruit of your life built on the foundation of the gospel, let it be the kind of stuff that lasts. Let it be, as he says, Gold, made, made of gold, silver, precious stones, the kind of stuff that doesn't burn up in fire, right? Build on the gospel with Christ-like fruit in your own life. Now, there, Paul says, you can live your whole life as a follower of Jesus, not bearing that kind of fruit. You can build on the foundation with all kinds of stuff that doesn't matter, wood, hay, straw, stubble. And when the fire of God's judgment comes, all those things will be burned up. You'll not lose your salvation, But you won't have anything. There won't be any fruit of your life to show at the end. So Jesus says, abide in me. I abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reason you're supposed to abide in me is so you'll bear much fruit. Much Christ-like fruit in you. Much much produce of your life that looks like me. Verse 8 says, by this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That the outcome of your life be full of Christ-likeness. And so prove to be my disciples. Now the fruit that disciples bear for Jesus, those who are connected to Jesus, the outcome of our life, the produce of our life, is not just evangelism. It's not just new converts to Christ. That's not the sum total of our fruit. And if we, if we look at our fruit, the fruit of our life, the kind of fruit that Jesus is calling us to bear, that way we're, we're missing so many other aspects of our life. The fruit of our our life as followers of Jesus is not just sharing the gospel with people who haven't heard it yet, though it's at least that, but it includes a whole life that is shaped by Jesus, shaped to look like Jesus. Again, Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit that is the produce of the Spirit of God that dwells in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what ought to come out of the life of a believer. Evangelism and the expansion of Christ's kingdom as we share the gospel of hope in Jesus Christ with other people? Absolutely! But also, the rest of your life. The rest of your life looking like Christ. The rest of your heart loving like Christ. The rest of your mind thinking like Christ. This is why bearing fruit glorifies the Father. Because when our lives are shaped like Jesus, when the produce of our life looks like Christ, we're pointing back to 
Him, we're exalting Jesus. And what does Jesus exist to do? As we saw several weeks ago, John chapter 17, verse 4, to glorify the Father. As we exalt Jesus, Jesus glorifies the Father. As our lives look like Jesus, people's attention are drawn to Him, and Jesus points their attention to God and how, they may, how others may be right with God through Him. Joy-filled disciples of Jesus bear fruit in the power of Christ because they're drawing life from Him. So understand this morning, brothers and sisters, that disciples of Jesus should be able to recognize the Christ-empowered fruit of their lives. We should be able to see if we're really following Jesus, if we're really abiding in him, if we're really seeking to be joy-filled disciples who glorify the Father, we should be able to discern, and other people should be able to discern in our lives, that Christ-empowered fruit that comes out. This means, friends, that we need to look seriously at the outcome of our lives. We need to do serious and intentional self-evaluation. Ask yourselves this question, these questions this morning. Am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit that looks like Christ? Does my life look like Jesus? Not am I being Jesus but, or becoming Jesus, but does my life, do my passions, my desires, the, 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 the move of my heart, the thoughts of my mind, do they reflect that of Christ? Am I reproducing disciples? Titus chapter 2, Paul instructs, Titus to instruct the older men to teach younger men how to be godly men in the household of faith, to instruct older women to, to teach younger women how to, how to be godly women within the household of faith so that the truth of the gospel might go throughout the world. Are, are you re- reproducing disciples, Christian? Am I strengthening the church? Ephesians chapter 4, God says, uh, there Paul says that God has given many gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the whole body might build itself up in maturity in Christ and bound together in love. Friend, are you strengthening the church? That's part of the fruit of the life of a disciple. Are there other believers who are bearing fruit because of my investment in them? So not only am I sharing the gospel and helping others to follow Jesus, but is the fruit of my life Evident in the lives of those that I'm investing in. Does that make sense? Whose fruit of faith is being borne out in my life as a disciple? Who has poured their life into me as a follower of Jesus, helping me to follow Jesus more closely? And and how is my life resembling Christ's life because of their influence? Disciples of Jesus should be able to recognize Christ-empowered fruit in their lives. And we need to regularly ask ourselves questions like this. Am I bearing fruit? And what sort of fruit am I bearing? Now, if there's a lot of fruit in your life, and prayerfully, you're not led to arrogance about this. If you are, there's probably not as much fruit as you think. What if there's not a lot of Christ-like fruit in your life? What if you, you ask all these questions? Maybe you've been following Jesus for 70 years. You've been in church and Bible studies and praying and reading your Bible at home. But beyond that, there's not a lot of fruit. There aren't a lot of people you can point to and say, I've invested in this individual and they're growing in Christ because of my investment. I'm serving the local church this way and and the church is stronger because Christ has led me to, to use my gifts and abilities and my personality to serve the church this way. What if you look at your whole life, maybe decades long following Jesus and there's not a lot of fruit? Is it hopeless? Are you done for? Certainly not. 
You know when the best time to plant a fruit tree is? Five years ago. You know what the second best time to plant a fruit tree is? Today. Friend, if there's not a lot of fruit of Christ in your life, because you've not been been abiding in Christ, maybe in the kind of fruitful way, you've not been investing yourself in fruitful ways for the kingdom in the lives of others, you can start today. You can begin glorifying God by bearing much fruit and proving that you to the world and to the church that you are a follower of, uh, of Jesus by bearing fruit today. So start bearing fruit today. Find someone to invest your life in. Pray that God would shape your desires and your thoughts and your actions to be more like Christ. Maybe you need to seek out someone to help you be fruitful. Take that step today. You may not have planted your fruit tree five years ago. You don't have anything to harvest today. Plant one today so you may have something to harvest in due time. Joy-filled disciples glorify the Father as they abide in Christ, as they bear fruit in the power of Christ, And finally, as they obey the commands of Christ. This final characteristic of joy-filled, God-glorifying disciples of Jesus is one means of abiding in Christ, and it's the fruit of the disciple's life as he or she depends on Christ. Obeying the commands of Jesus is one way we abide in Jesus, we remain in Jesus, and it's also a, a fruit of our life. Obedience is a fruit of the life of a disciple who's abiding in Christ. Obedience to Christ comes from the one who loves him. It's a result of abiding in his love. To love him is to love what he loves, to do what he commands, seeing that it is the best for your life. Obedience to Christ is also the sort of fruit that proves that someone is a disciple. The Son of God is obedient to the Father. Jesus' Son is obedient to the will of the Father. And so disciples of the Son obey the Son, following His pattern of submission and obedience to God as well. It's both a means of abiding in Christ and obedience is a fruit of the life of a disciple. So what does obedience to Christ's commands look like? Well, certainly it looks like the great commandments to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love Others as yourself, to love God supremely and to love others sacrificially, as Jesus affirms in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, as he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. That's what obedience to Christ looks like. But it also looks like loving each other, like caring for one another. So Jesus says at the end of our focal passage today, Uh, In uh, in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment then, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another joy-filled disciples of Jesus glorify the Father by obeying Christ. And what does Christ call us to do? 
to love one another, to love God supremely, to love others sacrificially, to, as the church of Jesus Christ, love one another in such a way that the world has never seen people love one another before in order that we might prove that we are disciples of Jesus, that something has changed within us, that we are doing good for others, not so we'll feel good about doing good for others, but we're doing good and we're caring for those who are in need because it glorifies God. To be a joy-filled disciple of Jesus, you need to know what obedience to Jesus is. Obedience to Christ requires loving what Christ commands. It requires loving others toward Him. When we love God supremely, when we know that He is supremely lovely, when we love others sacrificially, when we love others as we love ourselves, we will want for them what we know is best for us. We will want for others a life-giving relationship with their Creator. This is the kind of love that Jesus calls us to express in the world. Yes, Christ commands us to love God supremely, to love others sacrificially. But sometimes we overlook what loving God and loving others like this, in this way, looks like. Friends, it looks like making disciples of Jesus because it's what's best for them. It looks like obeying his command to make disciples by teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. Jesus' final words in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, says to his disciples before he ascends to heaven, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. To obey Jesus is to make disciples for the love of Jesus and for the love of those who will be made his disciples. To love God is to love what he loves. And God loves when people's hard hearts are turned from their sin to worship him. And so we should love when other people's hard hearts are turned from their sin to worship God. We should love as God loves disciples of Jesus who are growing and abounding in joy and obedience and maturity in Christ. We should love to see the church of Jesus Christ grow up in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. We should love to see that because God loves to see that. And we should work toward that end. We should obey his command to make disciples. Hear me, the most loving thing that you can do for someone And the most loving act of obedience to God that you can perform is helping someone else come to know Christ and then helping that person to grow in maturity and obedience to him because that's what God loves. God loves growing worshipers of him in the world. And if we love God, we'll love what he loves and we'll do what he commands. And what has he commanded us to do? To make worshipers of him in all the world. Obedience to Christ requires loving what Christ commands. It requires loving others toward Him. We make disciples at First Baptist West Albuquerque that help one another grow in maturity and obedience to Jesus. We're joy-filled disciples who glorify God by abiding in Christ, by bearing Christ-like fruit in the power of Christ, and who obey Christ's commands. We want to be growing in all of these areas. Growing followers of Jesus find their joy in abiding in Christ. They find their delight in bearing fruit that honors Him. They have gladness of heart when they obey His commands. Christian, is this your joy in life? 
Does it put a smile on your face and gladness in your heart to abide in Christ, to bear fruit, to obey his commands? Is that what gets you up out of bed in the morning? Is that what gets you down the road after you get out of bed? Is that what, is that what brings you safely home? And is that what you rest in at the end of the day is joy and delight because my life is vitally connected to Christ's. There's, there's fruit of his life in me that I could not bear on my own. It's all over the place and I can't stop it. And I love doing what God has called me to do. Christian, is that characteristic of your life? And maybe not every single moment of every single day. I get it. We struggle in, in, in still kind of these bodies that are plagued by sin. But by and large, is that the theme of your life? Is that the trajectory that your life is on growing in? Joy in Christ because you're abiding in Him, bearing fruit for Him, obeying His commands. Is this your joy in life? Do you want it to be, but you know that it isn't yet? Do you long to know Christ in a life-giving way? Perhaps you want the kind of joy that Jesus talks about. You want your life to be overflowing with joy and not just happiness because life's circumstances are are just in such a place that it just makes life easy. But you want joy that comes from something beyond what circumstances can give. Friend, you can find that in Christ. If you abide in Him. If you bear fruit that He empowers you to bear. If you obey His commands. Your life can overflow with this kind of joy. Again, Jesus says in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches, speaking to his disciples. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no joy in life. There's no fruitfulness in the gospel. There's no true obedience to Christ apart from Him. We need Him and to be vitally connected to Him more than anything else. And once we do, the next step for us Christians is to make disciples that are growing in the same way. To help other people find their greatest joy in this life-giving Savior. We've closed each of these uh, sermons through the month of January in prayer. We started our year in prayer, prayer service, the first Sunday of the year, and we've been spending time praying each Sunday in response to God's word, asking him to guide our our thoughts, to guide our hearts, to lead us to obedience. And I want to invite you this morning to spend some time in prayer again. And some prayer prompts will come onto the screen behind you. I invite you to pray these ways. Father in heaven, give me faith to abide in Christ. Give me greater trust in him, greater ability to to cling to him, to find my life vitally connected to him. Friend, if you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a follower of Jesus in the way that we've been talking about today, maybe your, your prayer today starts this way. God, give me faith to trust Christ. Give me faith to turn from my sin. Give me the ability to give my life the level of dependence that I need to have to give my life over to Jesus as Lord. Pray, Lord Jesus, empower me to bear fruit that glorifies you. I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. So Jesus, you need to empower me to bear the kind of fruit in the world that you want me to bear. And then Christian, particularly member of First West, I want you to pray specifically this way. 
Knowing that obedience to Christ requires loving what Christ commands. It requires loving others toward Him, loving others toward Jesus. I want you to pray specifically this morning that the Holy Spirit would guide you to someone by name, or at least by face, if you don't know their name yet, to begin discipling, to begin pouring your life into, to bear fruit of Christ's likeness in their life that they might bear fruit as well. Or to pray specifically that God would give you by name or by face, if you don't know their name yet, someone who could come and disciple you today. Maybe you know that you need to grow in fruitfulness in Christ, but you need help to do that. You need a mature brother or sister to come alongside you, to encourage you, to pray with you, to read the Bible with you, to help you to look at your own life and see uh, those areas where, where Christ needs to make you fruitful. All of us either needs to be discipling someone or to be discipled by someone. So I want you to pray specifically that God would lead you to someone specifically today, either to begin investing your life in or to seek their help uh, in your own life in growing in Christ-likeness. God, give us faith to abide in Christ. Jesus, empower us to bear fruit. Holy Spirit, guide us to someone to begin discipling or to be discipled by today that we might make followers of Jesus who help one another grow in maturity and obedience to him. Church, let's spend a moment in prayer in response to God this morning.